Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show about natural disasters, how you prepare for them, and how people across the Pacific have survived them. Each week, we work with local reporters so they get it, they understand what everyone is going through during a natural disaster. Today, how a Fijian village is trying to reclaim land lost to rising sea levels and doing it all without government assistance. During high tide, the water level reaches this place and it's bringing into the village a lot of rubbish. We have requested for assistance and there is still nothing until today. So we have decided to reclaim the land and we have done this much. And the role that religion plays in the Pacific when it comes to natural disasters and climate change. I mean, we are observing what is happening right now. So... For religious movements, they are more believing in uh, God, you know, miracles than people miracles or political miracles. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. The entire community of Noloto Village in Fiji is sitting on the floor in a large community hall. There's plates of food on the ground in front of them. And the community members are happy that the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation is there. They're happy because they want to share their story. But their story isn't quite as happy, so to speak. Walking through Noloto Village in Fiji, it's just really nice. There's lots of homes made from coloured corrugated iron and grey brick footings beneath them. Lots of palm trees, grassed areas and pathways that connect all the homes and buildings. And it kind of follows the coast on the left-hand side and to the right there's a really steep hill and you can see the community hall sitting right up on top of that hill where we had lunch. But as we're walking along you can also see something's just not quite right. The ground on the left-hand side of the path is wet and muddy, and there's crab holes. They kind of pile up the dirt around their holes, probably about the size of a golf ball. The village headman is leading us through the village, explaining where the water gets to when the tides are right, and how it's impacting their homes. It's hard to stop thinking about how nice the village is, but then you sort of feel uncomfortable being so close to the water, just metres from the homes. After we walk up the steep bank on the right-hand side that kind of divides the village in half, on the other side we see something that shows what this community is willing to do to keep the rising sea levels away. Whereabouts are we at the moment where we're walking through here? Uh, Thank you, Fred. We are currently in uh, Naloto village here in the province of Telev. It's um, 
it's uh, probably a 45 minute drive from from the main city of Suva here in Fiji. So we're currently here at a place where they have been ravaged by the, the effects of climate change and this has been uh, uh, um, an issue they have been facing for the past two, three, four, uh, three decades. Mm. So this, uh, this village is one of the many villages in Fiji that, that are earmarked for relocation, but according to the Turani Koro, he said the village preferred to just stay here and, feel, and try to fight these uh, mm. climate uh, uh, change issues. So most of the, the villagers here, they've started off with their own initiative, that is by reclaiming the land, and this is an expensive, uh, uh, it is an expensive uh, work they have to do, but they have no other choice in order for them to be safe, in order for their, their children to be safe. They have to spend this large sum of money, and according to the Turani Koro, or the village manager, he said that uh, so far they've spent at around thirty to 40000 That is to try and reclaim the land as they continue to fight against mm. the climate change issues here in Naloto village. They're so close to the water's edge. Like We're sort of standing just on a path behind some houses at the moment and then just past that there's, you can see where the, the land's been reclaimed by basically piling... Well, pushing back dirt, basically, earth back to the, to the land there. So most of these uh, villages, they have no other places to get their earth or the soil from. Sure. So the only, the only place they can get it is just off their coast, which is just a few, minute, few meters away from where they are living. They, according to the, the village manager, the village headman, he said they had no other choice but to use this. But they managed to get some of the earth from the other island, but they've been told by the government not to use that. It's, it's, it's actually one of the places where they get their food from. That's uh, the, most of the village they source their food from. So these villagers continue to do whatever it takes to help them be safe, at the same time ensure that uh, they continue to, to fight against climate change. Mm-hmm. This is Naloto village. It's situated on the coastline of Tailebo and is one of the villages that lives with climate change on a daily basis. It's an issue we have been dealing with for so many years. During high tide, the water level reaches this place and it's bringing into the village a lot of rubbish. We have requested for assistance and there is still nothing until today. So we have decided to reclaim the land and we have done this much. Laisani Tivado has been staying in Naloto for more than 20 years. She says the rising sea level is a risk, especially for the kids. We really fear for our kids if this continues to happen. The rising tide is an issue we have been dealing with for decades now. I'm just worried about our kids, so imagine in the next 20 to 30 years. This is Mbambabuliku, the left side of Naloto village. People on this side of the village have reclaimed 50 meters of their coastline, which cost them $38,000. They're currently working on reclaiming another 100 meters of their coastline, which is expected to cost them around $70,000. We have to get the soft stone from the other side to bury our coastline that is eroding. 
It's a huge task as we have to transport it using bamboo rafts. This is only done during high tide. We are also using tires to ensure that soft stone packs are steady and safe during high tide. The Mbambuweva residents in Naloto village have raised funds to help them with the fight against climate change. This work has so far cost us $13,000. We will need another $20,000 to complete the work. It's a huge task, but we have to do it. Naloto village has 205 villages and 75 houses. As the days go by, they're hoping to get more assistance to keep their homes and village safe from rising sea level as a result of climate change. Sainiani Mboila, FBC News. How many people live here? So Fred, there's about 208 villages that are currently living on this village. And according to the the village headman, there's about 70 houses. And most of these houses are right on the seaside where uh, they continue to to feel the effects of climate change. And so far, according to one of the villages, he said that uh, they will continue with their fundraising. This, the other side, the, the left side of the village, they managed to raise 38,000 and they've, con- they've done the work on that side, trying to reclaim the land. Mm. And on the other side, or the right side of the village, they've managed to raise about $15,000 and they're working to do more fundraising in order to, to raise another 15000 and to be able to complete the whole work mm. in terms of reclaiming the land. Thanks to the Fijian Broadcasting Corporation for their assistance with this story. And, of course, reporter Saniani Boiler for her work with that story too. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. There are so many things that are connected to natural disasters in the Pacific. And I wonder if you've ever thought about how religion relates to natural disasters. I mean, does it even relate at all? And how does the environment mix in with religion that's almost adapted itself to many parts of the Pacific? Hey Yorana, my name is Tamatoa Tupuhiari. I'm coming from Ohinui, also known as French Polynesia. And uh, I'm applying as a PhD student. Tamatoa is a Tahitian activist and he's been studying human culture and society. I did my master thesis uh, on the relationship between uh, religion and the environment, but particularly in Maohinui with the Maohi Protestant Church, the Etariti Apurutitani Maohi. Uh, her, I mean, the relationship of the church with the, you know, the notion of environment and how, uh, you know, the testimonies of the perspective of the church is influencing the environment. If we were to take religion completely out of the Pacific for a moment, just hypothetically, of course, if we were to remove religion and just put it aside for a second, I wonder what things would look like after a disaster 
if there was no religion in the Pacific. Can you can you kind of ex- explain what that might be like? Yeah, yeah, I see. So, I mean, uh, I think that one of the answers I can, you know, give you is uh, the indigenous knowledge, you know. I think that uh, if we, you know, take this example of relocate uh, religion, uh, I think that uh, the indigenous knowledge that our ancestors got before, now we can see people going back to, you know, kind of traditional actions or traditional activities or traditional ways of thinking of wisdom, you know, generally. Mm-hmm. Because uh, with this wisdom, we truly believe that uh, our ancestors already uh, gone through these disasters before yeah. and then uh, taking back this indigenous knowledge today with climate change, with sea level rise and everything that we are facing in the Pacific, it might, and as, you know, Pacific, in, indigenous from the Pacific, uh, it can help the Pacific out. Before uh, the Christianity, we have the pre-Christianity that, we, you know, that I'm referring here as a indigenous knowledge. Yeah. This indigenous wisdom of, you know, taking care of the land, of taking care of uh the Moana, the sea, the ocean, taking care of, you know, uh, our environment and how, I I think it's more like uh, a land management, uh, an environment management with this knowledge, you know. And with this knowledge, they they faced uh, disasters before, but now uh, if we take back or if we are, you know, just reflecting on the, this uh, indigenous wisdom, indigenous knowledge, uh, I truly believe that it will help our people out to face uh, this climate change and disasters. So religion and, I guess, um, specifically Christianity sort of added to that already existing um, traditional knowledge or... Um, you know, wisdom that was already there. So Christianity sort of added an extra layer to Pacific Islanders' understanding of their environment and, and, and how they live and exist? Uh, nowadays, yeah. nowadays they work together yeah. because at the time, you know, uh, Christianity were, was imposed in the Pacific and, you know, and on many islands. Uh, they just, you know, we need to consider that the mission of the missionaries who came here, the objectives of the missionaries who came on in the Pacific, uh, one of the mission was to delete, to ban um, indigenous beliefs and indigenous customs. So by banning that, they banning the they banned the indigenous you know knowledge and uh, yeah. But nowadays we. We, we can talk about syncretism. It's like when uh, Christianity and uh, indigenous wisdom are working together. In a couple of years ago, we were working together, but now they are like, you know, just one. one. Yeah. You know, they're working like, <laughs> yeah, they're one. They, and there's many studies which has been which have been done on the theologies, and I can refer to the Moana theology, or to the Fenua theology, uh, which are you know considering um, the Christianity in a, a Pacific perspective.
So let's talk about the Fenua theology first. Um, that's, that's the sort of sense of belonging to land, is that correct? Something along those lines? Am I close to that? Uh, yeah, it's the kind of recognizing the land as not only not only as uh, gifts from God, but also as, uh, you know, something important for people from the Pacific and also in the, the plan of the the plan of God. Let's say that um, the f- theology of the Fenua is really considering the Fenua as, you know, uh, a part of the plan of the Christianity. And so now the Fenua, which would have been banned originally by the missionaries, would that be fair to say they would have tried to put that aside, the, the Fenua belief? or um, No, let's say that the... Let's say that at the time the Christianity was imposed, they tried to, as I said, to ban the indigenous knowledge. Yes. But so we don't consider, we didn't at that time consider anymore the Fenua as indigenous people, but more like in the Western uh, vision, like considering the Fenua as a material, as a some you know, uh, a place I can build my home, whatever I want. But, you know, as you might know that, you know, in the Pacific, it doesn't work like that. You know, some Fenua, some places on the land have their own name, and we build something precise uh, on that place. And um, each name, because the, because there's also a linguistic context that we need to consider, that, for example, in Maohinui, let's say that... Uh, the Fenua as a part of the land, you know, is a part of the land, and uh, people are building things or doing actions or activities on that land because of the name. I give you an example. Uh, there's a place in uh, Tahiri that we call Veino'o, which is, now it's called Papino'o, which means the water from that place. And why did we call Papeno'o uh, the water for that place, this Fenua, uh, this part of the land? Because um, the water, there's a, um, a hole, you know, a source. And um, the, at that time, when people needed water, they just go at that place, you know. That's why we call Papeno'o the water from that place. So a, a guy said, hey, where did you get your water? I got this water from that place. That, that's why we call Papeno'o. Yeah. So there's a relationship a linked between, a link between uh, the Fenua, the name, and the action we do on that name, or on that Fenua, sorry. And the Fenua in Mahinui, French Polynesia, is, you know, beginning, starting from the mountain, the top of the mountain, until the coral, the coral reef. So it's not only the, you know, the land mm. part, but it goes uh, until the coral reefs. So there's, you know, uh, this is an indigenous conception that, you know, help people to consider the Fenua as, you know, a part of them. And because, you know, uh, Maori people and particularly Pacific people are really related to the Fenua, to the land.
some people will say, hey, uh, why do Pacific people, you know, keep going to the church as we know that the church has been uh, the way to colonize uh, the land, you know? Uh, it depends on what time or which period we are referencing and we are referring because uh, at that time they were missionaries so they had a mission now in 2023 we are talking about indigenous people who are leading the church and leading churches in the pacific so the conception of the church changed because of the people who are leading the church and i think that's the you know the most important point that we need to consider when we are you know talking about church and religion and environment in the Pacific. The discourse, the speech or the testimony, the vision that the church will give, it's referring to its own personality as an indigenous people, mm. as uh, what we are facing in the society. And yet, you know, I, I know you made the point that now the churches are, are being run by indigenous people, um, but the overall... Um, um, philosophy of the church and the messaging never changed though and that still remained the same and that's still being followed today no and and, and because it's changed you know it's changed in the time because regarding and one of the movement which you know uh, allowed this changing uh, was the pacific entrance of churches you know and my church is a member church of this organization in the Pacific and also the Pacific Theological College. So at that time, they were like, you know, uh, philosophers, thinkers of uh, the Pacific issues that we were facing and that we are still facing, you know, nowadays. And um, the, let's say, the mission or the vision changed not only because of the people, but also because of the philosophers and the Pacific, the issues they were struggling with for that time until now. So there are things that are sermons, for example, that are built around, say, for example, natural disasters. Yeah, definitely. For example, there's a prayer that we got in our liturgy, you know, in the church. And in this prayer, we are, you know, mentioning and highlighting that God, please help us. Help us regarding uh, the sea level rise. Wow. Help us regarding the climate change. And, um, you know, I think, and I think that religion movement, religious movement in the Pacific are more focusing on, on asking God to help, to help them out instead of asking people you know, our political government to help them out because uh, we, we, I mean, we are observing what is happening right now. So for religious movements, they are more believing in uh, God, you know, miracles than people miracles or political miracles. Tahitian activist Tamatua Tupuhiai He's been looking into human culture and society, and we were chatting about how this mixes with natural disasters and climate change. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. If you're hearing this, you're obviously interested in the Pacific, which is why I wanted to let you know about ABC Pacific website. 
you can listen back to anything you hear on the program. And it's a really great way for you to connect with us. You can share information. Maybe you're working on something related to this program, or maybe you've got some feedback for us too. There's also a heap of links on there that you might be interested in too, like Pacific Beat for all your news and current affairs in the Pacific. And for all the latest sports news, we've got Can You Be More Pacific? The easiest way to get in touch is to search for ABC Pacific and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. There's lots of ways to contact us there. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but it did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks right across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP, SIBC Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, and TBC Tonga. If you're working on something that's related to this program, keep us informed so that we can tell everybody about it. Maybe you've got a story idea, a personal experience that you want to share, a topic to cover, or someone else that you think we should meet for this program. The easiest way to get in touch is to search for Pacific Prepared and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. You can also listen back to the program. Just type Pacific Prepared India Search Engine and you'll find us. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about disasters. What would you do and how would you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.